podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. That was Annie. (laughs) Hello, Annie. We know everyone's only here for you. Cool, cool, cool. Yes. She is the Hellion of Hellions. She's the Hellion of the year. Yes. She's the Hellion of the century. She is the anti- She does not appreciate that. She's fun. She's super cute anyways. What does her shirt say? I can just see the moon pie. Oh. One of my mobile friends got this for her. Her Aunt Daiquiri. Her head is still in the way. It's her chin. Yeah, she's got a big dome. Here, oh, did I hear someone say moon pie? <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. This is any moon pie. Coming that to you, hard. not live, and not from a helicopter. Coming you could make me. her into the helicopter, just twist her over your head. <laughs> there you go. See? She's now a helicopter. This is Annie Moon coming to you pre-recorded as a helicopter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to do shout outs first or do you want to talk about how you are? Let's talk about shout outs first. Let's put somebody else ahead of ourselves. Oh, you don't want to be selfish today? No, not today. I'm lazy. Okay, fine. Um, so we do want to shout. Listen, guys, I, Amanda witnessed this. I said, we haven't shouted out Michigan. I'm not searching for something else. So Michigan, Detroit area listeners. Hey, what's up? 100%. That's how it happened. <laughs> so, yes. I might have paraphrased a little bit, but generally that was the verbiage that was used. So we do have listeners in Michigan. We do want to just say thank you all for supporting us, for listening. Um, and helping us grow so that we we can keep doing this because if it actually no we'd continue with or without you guys because we think we're hilarious we're so <laughs> funny we're those obnoxious people so yeah i mean we think we're funny i don't know why y'all keep coming back but thanks i hope you guys at least enjoy the stories <laughs> so um and then we do have discord Uh, Our Discord is up and going, so if you want to join that Discord channel where you can throw out suggestions, uh, comment on our previous episodes, or just have direct access to me and Amanda that we will likely uh, not be quick to answer, but we will see it eventually. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What she Uh, said. You, you can talk to us there. There are different levels or of access to that Discord. So if you are a patron, um, you do have a little bit more access. But if you are just wanting to join to talk to your crime, paranormal stories, suggestions, whatever, um, those are available for you as well. And then we also have our Patreon up and going where we're working to create and release specials for you guys there. You also get early access to all of our episodes as long as I remember to name and post them on time. So if you want to support us there on Patreon, you definitely can. We have different levels of support there as well. Um, anything else you want to add? Covered it, which I appreciate every time because you've got this down pat and I'm like, Bryce has got it. So I don't have to. I wing it every time. <laughs> I go, um, I don't remember what we talk about with Discord or Patreon. So we'll just throw it out. All right. Well, now that uh, that's all out of the way, how are you? I'm pretty good. I can't think of anything to complain about. Um, Finally getting my voice back from the allergies. So, okay. I just got a McAfee pop-up in the middle of a. <laughs> uh, I love that you say McAfee because I call it McAfee. Is it McAfee? I don't know. I, I think I, that's just how we, I 
learned to say is McAfee. Oh, I just assumed that it was Irish. McAfee. I, I, hell, we might both be saying it wrong. That one's probably it. Yeah. (laughs) Someone's going to. Someone from the McAfee or McAfee company, please let us know how you actually say it. They're going to email us and they're going to be like, it's actually Michael. (laughs) We're like, where's the L? It's the A for silent. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) All right. So you feeling better after your allergies? Is Annie feeling better? Oh my God. She is so much better. She's so much more rambunctious. Um, Yeah. Are you going to tell listeners about the video? Oh, that was wonderful. (laughs) I'm a great mom. I'm just going to start with that. But we have baby proofed the house, which includes uh, in the, in front of the entertainment center. I just put her toys because I have, two cabinets on the entertainment center and she was obsessed with opening the doors. So I just put her toys in front of it. And for the most part, they distract her. Um, well, she pulled her toy basket, toy bag. I don't know. It's not a box. Her round toy container. She pulled it over and she was trying to get in the cabinet behind it. Now I was telling her earlier in the video, I was like, no, leave it. And she kept looking back at me and laughing. And I cut that part out to the real juicy part. Which was me going, no. And I threw a little flamingo at the door and it closed it a little. And she looked over like, whoa, what was that? And then she went back to trying to open the door and immediately smacked herself in the face with it. (laughs) She did not cry. She went right back to it. But I laughed really hard. I did giggle at it. I was just at work and I forgot to respond. So (laughs) it was one of those. Instant karma, mother knows best situation. Were you going, uh, were you singing the mother knows best song? There's a song in your head, yeah. Rapunzel, have you not seen the Rapunzel? I have, but I forgot that song because I didn't like her. Something, something, mother knows best. (laughs) I do remember that song now, yeah, and I will sing it next time. Okay, next time. All right, well, you want my update? So, first of all. Um, Cody and I, because I got my new desk for work, because I got myself a standing desk. I moved that into the office. First of all, I moved that into the office. Cody didn't do shit. He also wasn't home when it got moved. So, point is, is our office got completely cleared out, reorganized, cleaned. So, it's nice and clean in here. Like, even vacuumed three times a day right now. Uh, partly because the dogs just stink. So I have to vacuum three times a day. So impressed already just with the vacuuming. I know, right? Um, I got a cute little chair behind me now, which is Cody's sitting chair for when he wants to come bother me. Uh, (laughs) But then I also, over the weekend, uh, I got myself a new tat. (laughs) Ah, yes. um, I didn't know what to say to that photo at first. <laughs> I know. So it's not anything crazy. It's permanent cosmetic. So it's still a tattoo. But I got a, uh, I think it's like a PMU lash enhancement on my waterline on my eyes. And let's just say that is the weirdest feeling ever. Because <laughs> they numb you. And the lady that does mine, she numbs you. And then she like she'll just continuously numb you wherever she can throughout the whole process. And it's with like creams and other things that she's allowed to use. But 
because it doesn't hurt, it like tickles. I don't like that. I think yeah. I would rather it hurt. It was very, it was a very strange experience. But I didn't swell up because I can't get my lash extensions anymore because I'm reacting to the glue. So I didn't swell up. Like can, you can't even tell. I just did something. Like you can see it on my eyes, obviously. Um, but my eyes aren't swollen. No reaction. Doing good so far. So that was that was the highlight of my week. It looks really good too. Like when <laughs> when she sent me the picture, she sent me a picture of like her forehead and eyes, and I was like, okay. I really suck at this. I was like, oh, you got your eyebrows done? And then I was like, no, I think I said no lashes? Question mark. Yeah, that's about right. But it just looks really natural. And I would have never guessed that that was a tattoo. Because I've seen them before and they weren't the best. But this is like a while back. I'm sure it's way better than it used to be. The lady I go to, though, um, she's one of those people where I feel like she does the more natural look. Because that's what she just likes to do. And she also... I think especially for lashes, I feel like, like, yeah, you could tell I have eyelash extensions on, but it still wasn't super heavy or dramatic. And I also feel like a lot of that came down to she was, she's just really good about, like, if I do this, this is what this is going to cause. And I don't want you to lose all of your eyelashes, I think. So that's why I went to her with this as well. Um, well but, like because You can always add on more, I'm sure. You can always just slap on some more eyeliner and mm-hmm. bam, you can put a wing on it. Yeah. And if you like on my water, yeah, if I like it, I'll just get it in another color. (laughs) Oh, no, No. I was going to say, if you like it, then you should have put (laughs) away. No, but that's my highlight is I just got that done. So not too terrible. I will say I am her guinea pig. Uh, It's not that she hasn't done this before, but she's using new techniques on me. So like a new ink and that type of stuff. So it was really, uh, it was really good. So. That's it. That's my highlight. I feel like there was something else. Oh, I know what it was. Um, Because I told you that we clean. I gave Amanda a little tour of the office now that it's clean. Um, Which included me taking everything out of the closet that is currently empty so that we can reorganize. So our living room's a disaster right now because we're going through all of that. I hate reorganizing for exactly that reason. I know. It's it's fine. It's going to be like a whole week-long process. Anyways. I was dying because my little puppy, who's, you know, obsessed with me, she, um, oh, this morning she, she found like a, you know, just like the little rope, the twine, like just a roll of twine that I had for some DIY project that I'll probably never use again. She found it and was chewing on it. So I'm like, what do you have, Maisie? And she hadn't been chewing on it very long. And she brings it over just happy as can be. I take it from her. And I, I've noticed that I do this thing when I take things from her that I don't want her to have is I go, oh, thank you, Maisie. You're such a good helper. Thank you for picking that up. And then I like take it away, whatever. And I don't know why <laughs> I do that. I've just been doing it. After I did that to her today, she went and found something else and just brought it over and handed it to me. <laughs> God, you're training. Um, I don't know what happened. You're, you're training an emotional support dog to help you deal with Cody. Mm-hmm. I've got three of them. <laughs> Plus two emotional support cats. So you have five animals. No, you have six animals total. Are you including Cody in that count? Sure I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hold on. I got to make sure. <laughs> um, I, I consider Cody more like a, a monster. Well, anyway, so that's my update. So nothing too crazy happening in my life. Moving desks. 
What? Just moving desks. Oh, I thought you said moving death, and I'm like, kind of crazy. Not moving death, desk. Oh, okay. That sounds a little more tame. Yeah. Well, I'm ready for a story because someone's been talking about it all week. I'm so ready. Have you ever heard of Michael Malloy? (laughs) Also known as Iron Mike or Mike the Durable. I'm so excited. I was going to put him on the drive the other day for someone to claim. Mm -hmm. Beat you to it. Uh, At least now you understand like why I did not want to cut any of this out of the story. It's been a while since I've listened to it. I just ran across the name and was like, oh my gosh. So, (laughs) I did read a book by Simon Reed. (laughs) I love his name. (laughs) Uh, It's called On the House, and he had so much info on this case. I don't even know how, Mm -hmm. because this case is from the 1930s, but Simon had a cover, okay? Um, Okay, hold on. One of my, one of the, part of what I'm talking about today involves the 1930s. How do we keep (laughs) doing this where we somehow match? There Isn't was this another the second time, time in a row? I think this might be the second time in a row. Recently, we have had more and more where we're like... <gasps> uh-huh. Okay. This is, okay. This is creepy. Okay. I don't know what's happening. It's, oh, it's the platonic soulmate stuff. It's fine. See? It's proof. The proof is in the podcast. James, Cody, did you hear that? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay. So our story starts in New York City. It's the middle of the day in July 1932. And Prohibition, it wouldn't be repealed until the next year. Tony Marino, Tony Marino, he owned a speakeasy in the Bronx. And he was sitting around with his friends, Francis Pasqua and Daniel Kreisberg. And he was complaining that he was losing money. And he was on the verge of losing his whole business. Now, I don't really care. Because Anthony Tony Marino, he was 27 years old. This man was crooked as a barrel of snake. Okay. He was abusive and just shitty to the point where his wife left him because he threatened her and their baby multiple times. And Marino, he met a regular in his establishment, Maybell Carlson, in the speakeasy. And she was in a bad spot. So he was like, hey. You can stay in a room of mine. It's cool. Let me help you out. I feel like hard pass. Well, she took him up on it. And then a few months later, <clears throat> on March 17th, 1932, she died of bronchial pneumonia, according to the medical examiner. Now, he did note that there was nothing strange about the death, but there were some old bruises covered with makeup. And Marino told investigators that she was in bed when he got home the night before, and he thought she was just sleeping. Later, uh, much later, we find out that Marino actually force-fed her alcohol because she did have pneumonia, and she was so weak from it at the time that she couldn't even feed herself. So he force-fed her alcohol until she passed out. And then he opened up her bedroom window, moved her bed underneath it, dumped ice water on her bed and mattress, took off her clothes, wrapped her in a soaking wet sheet, and put her to sleep. Within that same week, he got her death certificate and cashed in on a $2,000 life insurance policy that listed him as the beneficiary. uh, um, This 
that doesn't sound like how you want to care for someone with bronchitis or pneumonia or whatever the hell she had. Yeah, it sounds like the exact opposite. Kind of sounds like murder. Sounds a lot like murder. You're on to something. Your dad is going to be so <laughs> proud of you. I know. He's always uh, <laughs> corrected my bullshit. I got this one, Dad. That sounds like murder. <laughs> Just wait. He's going to be like, actually, it's not. Actually, that it was, was this very specific type of murder. It was manslaughter. <laughs> it was woman slaughter. <laughs> no, it was murder. Okay. It was definite murder. It definitely feels like first degree murder because it feels like there was premeditation behind it. It makes me wonder how she got pneumonia to begin with. Right? Did he like cough on her and give her pneumonia? I don't know if that's how it works, but. It did. Did he do exactly this <laughs> five days earlier? I do not know. God. Wow. So anyway. <laughs> Daniel Kreisberg, he was 29. He was married with three kids. And he worked as a greengrocer selling fruits and vegetables. And Daniel Kreisberg, he never changed his story that he did this for his family. He said that to the very end. Um, most of what I read said that he was a good father and a family man, but then I also read that he was a paid lookout for Tony Marino's cousin, Marie Baker. She was known as the Pants Bandit because she would rob people at gunpoint and take their money and jewelry, and then she would also make them give her their pants so they would be too embarrassed to chase her through the streets. I I love her. She is my new idol. I really want to see if I can find anything about her ever. <laughs> because I love her. all the fat I trimmed from this story, I kept coming back to her and I'm like, no pants bandit. You are staying. Yes, she is staying. Like there's not, she has to stay. She ran away with my pants and my heart. Uh, that would just be like the sweetest little romance story. Like I saw her and she ran away. She was running away with my pants and my heart. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to make James a Valentine's Day card next year. I need to put this in my phone okay. and make him a Valentine's Day card with Marie Baker as the subject. Do it. <laughs> pants bandit. And then I'm going to steal all of his pants. <laughs> Okay. I love it. Okay. Francis Frank Pasqua, he was 24 years old, and he owned Pasqua's Burial Service in Harlem. He was happily married with a baby. So these are just a bunch of dads hanging out, drinking at the bar, you know. He actually helped Maybell get the life insurance policy before she died and accepted a small fee from Marino after she died. He was... Okay. Pretty damn good at insurance scams because he was an undertaker by trade. So he ended up working a lot with the insurance companies and helping people get their policies cashed in when other people died. Um, he hired this guy named Michael Malloy to do some odd jobs around the mortuary. And he even let him sleep there every now and then. And they would go to Marino's together and drink. It was Pasqua's idea to kill Mike Malloy. Michael, or Mike Malloy, he was born in Donegal, Eng Ireland. Almost said England. It's definitely Ireland. Donegal, Ireland. But he was living in New York. 
we don't even know this guy's birthday. Okay. Some people said he was like 41 or in his 40s. Some people said that he was 60 at, I can't, he was between 40 and 60. Okay. At one point, he was a firefighter, but at this time, he was homeless and he was a raging alcoholic. All he did was drink. He would be at Marino's literally all day until he drank himself into, I mean, he passed out on the floor. Sometimes he stumbled out the door and nobody really knows where he slept. I guess sometimes in the mortuary. Uh, he would work odd jobs because he couldn't hold down a job. So he would like, he would drink all day until he ran out of money. And then he would go like sweep something for somebody, make a couple bucks and go back and drink it away. Well, he's got to have the booze. He had to have booze because uh, he had no friends, no family, no job. So he was pretty much the perfect victim because he wouldn't be missed, unfortunately. So July 29th, 1932, Pasqua approaches Malloy and he's like, hey, do you want some life insurance? And Malloy is like, all right. And they go to get life insurance. <laughs> like, no, he's not suspicious at all and even the life insurance agent he was kind of suspicious they meet with an agent from prudential but pasqua tells him that malloy is an employee and he wants to take out a policy on him in case something happens and malloy has to give him a funeral he doesn't have any friends or family to pay for it so uh the insurance agent asks malloy who he wants to be as a beneficiary and malloy is like pasqua and the agent's like you want your boss who is going to be paying the premium to be the beneficiary if you die. And Malloy tells him that it's because Pasqua is a good guy. He is his friend. He gave him a job and a place to stay when nobody else really would. Don't trust people. That's what we're saying is your friends will turn on you too. Oh yeah. You never know anybody. Only trust your platonic soulmates. Exactly. Only if they're at a distance though. Yes. Oh my God. Thank. Uh, I love long distance. Okay. James barely got me to marry him because I love long distance so much. <laughs> That's why you have me is for the long distance friendship. Exactly. I get it. I get everything I need from like three people. Okay. Annie doesn't get to count as one of those people because she's needy. Annie doesn't get to count as one of those people because she's not a person yet. She is just an extension of myself because she's always there. Is that because of the fact I told you or the uh, theory I told you about babies thinking that you're an extension of them? That's why they say the opposite parent first. I think subconsciously it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you told James that theory yet? Yes. Okay. But I told him I'm still going to be mad if she says daddy first. So the insurance agent, he had Pasqua and Malloy both sign the paperwork and he sent it in to be approved. Not shockingly, they were denied because the shit looked sketchy. So they tried the same song and dance with a different company called Metropolitan Life Insurance. And this time they were rejected because the shit is sketchy. So they go back um, to the bar. <laughs> I love that you're like Prudential. That was the old, like at my old job, that's where it was through. I don't have it anymore, but it just made me laugh. I'm like, <laughs> thank you, Prudential, for being so diligent. <laughs> well, don't thank them for long. Oh. So, <laughs> this agent for Metropolitan, for whatever reason, he kept calling and checking in with Pasqua because he thought he was a good prospect. 
That was his exact quote. He thought he was a good prospect. Uh, Pasqua hatched a new plan. And he tells Marino and Kreisberg that if they keep trying to do this with their own names, then the insurance companies are going to get suspicious and they're going to flag them. So obviously they have to get the bartender in on this plan. Obviously. Yeah. Joseph Murphy, he was basically just employed so he could drink and have a place to stay. People said that he consumed more drinks than he poured for customers. So great bartending skills. Oh my gosh. He had like the dream job for him. Yes. Like it's, for him. Yeah. It actually gets better for him. When <laughs> uh, Marino gave him a $1 a day salary when he could afford to. And he let him sleep on an old couch in the bar with a dingy blanket. Free rent, free rent, yeah. free booze. What else do you need? This was fine for Murphy, who claimed at the time that, quote, owning underwear was beyond his financial means. Free rent, free booze. He's good. He's, he's got everything he needs. The new plan was to have Murphy pose as next of kin since he was also of Irish descent. And instead of using Malloy's name, they would take the policy out under the fake name of Nicholas Mellory. Pasqua even went through the trouble of getting this fake person, Nicholas Mellory, a job with a florist in Manhattan. So basically he was like, hey, if anybody calls and asks you if Nicholas Mellory works here, tell him yes. And the florist was like, okay. <laughs> did they also hold on i just would like to know if that still works and if they also pay so like can i be like hey google bryce moffett works here and you pay her five hundred thousand a year does that it's, work it's definitely worth a shot just say yes yes that's all i need now i will say in all fairness like a lot of these people they did stuff like this for pasqua one because he was charming. He was a smooth talker. And two, because they didn't want to lose his business. Like, if you're a florist, you don't want to piss off the undertaker. Especially if he's the one killing people. I bet you make a lot of business off of him. You know what? I didn't think about that. That's fair. You know what? He, he offs people. I sell flowers for those people's funerals. It's a good partnership. Right? I mean, it might not be morally right, but... They're it's not financially the good. They're not yeah. the ones killing. They're just like, listen, we know what happens. We can't stop it for our own safety. Police can figure it out on their own. But we make buco buco bucks on this. This is the Great Depression, and I can't think of the word. What is it when they outlawed drinking? The p word. Uh, prohibition. Thank no. you. I kept thinking purgatory. Jesus. Yes. Is it prohibition? That sounds right. Yeah, it, this is the Great Depression and Prohibition, okay? People are depressed. They got to do something. They can't drink. I guess you just kill people, question mark? Don't they have, like, the, um, now I need the word, the, um, not Tito Tollers, <laughs> uh, like the hidden ones, like the secret bars. Speakeasies. Speakeasies, yeah. Yeah, that's what Marino owned. That's where they're plotting all this. Everything happens in his dingy old speakeasy it was not one of the fancy nice speakeasies oh, okay, okay. by any means 
So before they could even get this new plan into action, Anthony Mm -hmm. Tough Tony Bastone and his friend Joseph Maglione come into play. Because Tough Tony had been watching these guys and he just guessed that they were up to something shady. And one day he comes up and he's like, I want in. And they're like, uh, you, Tough Tony is not a person that you tell no to. So they were like, uh, okay. And then from what I read, wherever Tough Tony was, Maglione wasn't far behind. So, okay, now we got two more people in on this. Uh, Tough Tony and Maglione, they were regulars at the Speakeasy too. They would meet there to sort out their own dealings, whether it be counterfeiting or supplying illegal liquor to secret speakeasy and also to drink. So more great people. In November, Pasqua called the agent back and told him that he wanted to introduce him to his friend who wants insurance ASAP. And this agent just had so much faith in Pasqua for whatever reason and just thought he was such an upstanding guy that he went against policy and dropped off the paperwork and left. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. It sounds like he's got a man crush. He might have. I, I think it sounds like he's got this man crush, which is fine. Like, have your man crush. But just I mean, own it. There is a picture of uh, Pasqua. I mean, the name alone. I love his name. But Pasqua was... um. To me, he just looked like the Grim Reaper. Hold on, which one is he? He's the bottom left. Okay. Oh, I guess I could have read what you said. Could have read the thing on it. Okay. He looks kind of... I guess maybe if these are pictures of after... After everything comes crumbling down. Yeah, this is... uh, I believe it's in court. Okay, well that makes more sense. So this finally worked out in their favor. They got three policies, three policies, two from Prudential and one from. Damn it, Prudential. (laughs) That's why I said, like, just hold on, just wait. But they got uh, two from Prudential. And then they got one more from. What was the other one I said? I'm trying to look for it. I'm sorry. Uh, Metropolitan. I was going to say MetLife, and I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> I kept wanting to say municipal, because that's what I had, but metropolitan. Uh, all of these clauses included double indemnity, so that would double the payout if Michael Malloy died in an accident. This was a total of $3,576 adjusted for inflation. Today, that would be $68,287,000.39. Um, that's still not a lot. Mm-mm. No, especially for a funeral, y'all. Funerals are expensive. So now all they have to do, though, is just kill M- Malloy. And Tough Tony was like, I've got a gun. Let's just shoot him because that's who he is. And Pasquale was like, calm down, Tony. We have to do this the right way if we want the bigger payout. So they come up with this genius plan to just let him drink himself to death. So he comes in one day. Michael Malloy does. He comes into the speakeasy one day. And Marino was like, hey, bud, you have been such a loyal customer. And the other speakeasies around town are really hurting my business. So I had to ease up on the rules. 
So even though I took away your drinking tab, you can just drink for free. And Molloy drank that night until Marino's arm got tired from him pouring drinks. He was like, hell yeah. And yes. Without, Pour me some. Without question, like they said, as soon as the glass was full, he would just knock it back and kill it. The man watched him like, drink. Next bartender. Yes, Next he drank drink. all night before he finally wiped his mouth with a sleeve, stood up. He thanked Marino for his outstanding service and just walked out. Barely even stumbled. He came back the next day and called the bar the, ble- the best place he ever drank in. And he asked for another morning's morning. And Marino started pouring again. This man feasted all day and night on the free booze and the sardine sandwiches at the bar that he just apparently loved, which to me sounds absolutely disgusting. Right. And this goes on for almost a full week. He literally just drinks all day and then goes home, comes back, and does it the next day. And every night, these guys are basically just hoping he's going to die in his sleep. Because they think he's, like, on the verge of death anyway. And they're hoping he's, like, alcohol poisoning, gonna die and vomit and choke, like, anything. But every day, they just see him walking back in. So they come up with a new plan. And the next day, after Malloy is getting drunk, is good and drunk, they start mixing poison into his whiskey. They gave him antifreeze, turpentine, horse liniment, and that can be, e- I had to look that up. It, it can be either water or lotion, but it's applied to horses after they exercise. It's kind of like icy hot without the icy. Okay. And they also put arsenic and finally wood alcohol. All of this in his drink. And when those uh. cocktails didn't work, they started giving him a shot of whiskey. And once he was drunk, they just gave him pure straight wood alcohol. The main, the main ingredient is in wood alcohol is a little thing called methanol. And it's, methanol is also in paint thinner and antifreeze. So they're pretty much giving him anything with alcohol in it that they think is going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And according to the book on the house, 10 milliliters of the wood alcohol is enough to cause blindness. And two to eight ounces can kill an adult. Kreisberg said that Malloy drank so much that the entire place reeked of wood alcohol when you walked in. And one night he watched Malloy drink a quart and a half by himself. For reference, there's 32 ounces in one quart of wood alcohol and two to eight is supposed to kill an adult. This went on for days and all they ever saw was him looking drunk until one night in December. Everybody was sitting there waiting for him to kick it. And Malloy is so sad because Malloy thinks they're all friends. They're just buddies hanging out at the bar. And they were watching him just knocking back these shots of wood alcohol faster than Murphy could pour them. He's swaying back and forth and he starts slurring his words real bad. And he polished off a glass and then just collapses onto the floor. And everybody just kind of gets out of their chair and gathers around them. And Pasqua started doing his undertaking thing. He checked for a pulse and he leaned his ear to Malloy's mouth and he heard 
what he described as shallow, labored breathing. So they all left him on the floor, went back to their seats, and just waited for him to die. So this went on for a little while, and they watched his breathing become more erratic until suddenly he started snoring. (laughs) So these guys are pissed. Because this is getting pretty expensive. They're not only having to pay the monthly premium for the insurance policy on him, but they're having to buy all this alcohol and poison, too. So, again, Pasqua is like, guys, I got an idea. I once prepared Stop this. coming up with ideas. <laughs> he does not have good ideas. That's where we're coming down to. Don't people? Wouldn't you be like, listen, none of your ideas have worked so far. They're bad ideas. Let me, let me do some thinking. <laughs> Remember you said that, okay, (laughs) as I read you what his idea was. So, Frank Pasqua once prepared the body of this guy who died after eating oysters and drinking whiskey. So, these guys soak oysters in wood alcohol for a few days and then give them to Malloy. And he slurps them down and seems happy as hell about it. And that night, he continued drinking. And eventually stumbled out of the speakeasy just like every other night. And he came back the next day. Okay. The wood alcohol and the other things you're trying to poison him with aren't working. They're not. How long has this been going on? He's obviously creating a tolerance to it and it's not working. Maybe we change up what we try to give him. Not not to encourage this type of behavior, but to think logically. Let's get this into perspective, everyone. It's not working. What is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over again. Expecting a different result. Exactly. Um, I don't I don't understand. Well, they do change it up because now Murphy has an idea. He opens a can of sardines. And he lets them rot on the shelf for a couple days until he cannot physically stand the smell of them anymore. Uh, Then he puts them on a sandwich, adds some tin shavings from the sardine can, some broken glass, and some carpet tack. And he gave it to Malloy. Malloy ate it and loved it. He washed it down with a shot of wood alcohol and expressed his gratitude. He came, he drank all night, came back the next day, and asked for another sandwich. Oh my god, this guy, he just, he's literally just like, yeah, that's great. Like, I don't know what the hell you just gave me, but that was delicious. Can I have a second? That was kind of spicy. Did that have a little Tabasco in it? Look, my compliments to the chef. So everybody is like, what the hell is happening? But Tough Tony is especially impatient because, again, that's just who he is. And he talks the group into just shooting Malloy with a machine gun. But when Marino tried to buy the Tommy gun, it was too expensive. It was they wanted the guy that his contact, I guess, wanted $50 for it in the 1930s. Which would be $1,150 today. They've already spent like three times out on poisons and alcohol and whatever the hell else they're spending exactly so he was like absolutely not this is too much this is too much but i will continue 
to pay premiums and give him alcohol and food and poison and just that's not too much. No. They do come up with another plan though. This time it's Marino's. And you know, he's done this before. So he gets Malloy as drunk as he can, which is pretty easy. And when Malloy passes out, Marino and Pasquale load him into a car and drive him a half mile away to a park. They carry him to a park bench, take off his shirt, lay him down, and dump a bucket of ice-cold water on his chest before leaving him there soaking wet and half-naked in the January ice and Listen, it worked once. They all go home. the same result as what happened last time. They all go home except for Malloy. You know, they brush their hands off. They get in bed with their wives. Their wives are like, where the hell are you at? It's 2 a.m. And Marino opens the speakeasy the next day and finds Malloy asleep on the floor near the gas stove. He woke up, said that he had a wee chill, and started drinking again without so much as a sniffle. It's a wee chill. No big deal. Just a wee chill. Can I get one of those sandwiches with the Tabasco? <laughs> Would you this... an extra dash? <laughs> Something to warm me up from the inside. Give me a shot of that wood alcohol. This man never got sick. He's still guzzling this wood alcohol, too. His stomach was never upset. He never even got a cold, okay? So, obviously, they have to change tactics again. Please so, tell me they just change what they're using to poison him, this is awful. I don't want this man dying, but I'm hurting for the people trying. Like, there is a slight escalation in their planning. <laughs> they talk to two career criminals, Edward Tin Ear Smith. He lost one of his ears in a mine explosion, so he sculpted another, a replacement ear, with. Do you want to guess? Tin. No, I mean, wax. no. <laughs> I was going to say a hot dog. <laughs> no. Yeah, you would have been closer with the hot dog. He sculpted it out of wax. I don't know Did why they call really? it tenure. Yes. <laughs> okay, wait, I've got a question, though. Because you okay. said they reached out. These are career criminals. Aren't all mm -hmm. these other people part of this that are already part of the plot technically career criminals, too? They are, but they had actual jobs. So one was bartender. One was a, okay, okay. a Marino on the speakeasy. Yeah, they all had actual jobs. That's why I refer to them as career criminals. Okay, okay. But pretty much everybody in this story, except for Kreisberg, was somehow involved with, like, criminal mischief, the mob. Like, Kreisberg is just this poor dad and look out to the pants bandit that can't feed his family. <laughs> pants bandit. She's, <laughs> she's running away with your, your heart. Could have been worse. Could have been your underpants, too. That's true. See? You always have to count your blessings. <laughs> count your blessings and your pockets. So Edward Tenier Smith and his buddy John McNally, because we don't have enough people, they talk them into this. And then these two go and pay a taxi driver $150 to run Malloy over, which is like <laughs> $150. Yes. But you couldn't spend $50 on a gun. Yes. Well, that's because this is these two. Just Tinier and McNally are like, okay, this is how much we're going to get. They had told them only about one policy, the $800 policy. So they were like, well, we want half. And 
Marino and Pascal are like, okay, because they didn't know about the other two. So they take 150 out of their 400, and they're like, well, we're going to pay this guy. Okay, but still, still thinking realistically, you can promise, what, $400 to these career criminals, these guys, but you can't spend $50. Exactly. They're stupid. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, Smith and McNally were like, hey, we know a guy. And they offered Harry Green this money to hit him. (laughs) Harry Hershey (laughs) Green, he was 24. He was described as shockingly blunt, and he admittedly didn't care about anybody else. I love his name. I love his name. Harry Harry Hershey Green? Yes. Well, Hershey was a nickname, but still. I don't care. Harry Hershey Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Firstborn son, Harry Hershey Green. Is that what you're going to name uh, your firstborn son if you have another kid? We're not. I said that's not. That's not. I said we're not. I said if. <laughs> I did not say you were or were not. I said if. My whole family is like, when's the next one coming? <laughs> I'm on the pill. <laughs> um, <laughs> So January 30th, 1933, it's between 1130 and 12. Green is driving the car, this taxi, okay? Marino, Maglion, Murphy, McNally, Tough Tony, some guy named Johnny that Tough Tony told them he was bringing at the last minute. They all pile into the car with Malloy in the floor. This is my buddy, Johnny. Don't worry about him. He's cool. He's cool. Yeah, literally. Like it said, they told he told him at the last minute, like, "Hey, Johnny's coming," and they're all just like, "Who the hell Who's is Johnny?" Johnny? <laughs> so these seven freaking people pile into this one taxi. They go to an abandoned road. Murphy and Tough Tony they hold Malloy by the arms, and Green is speeding towards them. But Maglione notices a light come on in a window, so they all jump back in the car and speed off, and they go somewhere else. They go to a different road and they try it all over again. They finally hit him on the third try, going 50 miles an hour, so hard that his Malloy's body allegedly hit the windshield, went airborne, hit the road, and then rolled into a ditch. And they all pile in the car and they take off. The next day, they checked headlines, but there was no mention of any hit and runs. They went around checking multiple newspapers every day for the next few days. They called morgues and hospitals. They even went to where he was to see if he was still there. And they never found him. Never heard from him. Nothing. It's so, like my buddy is just trying to run me over. Like they, they don't know what happened. All they know is they can't collect an insurance payment because they don't have a body. So they bounce around from one speakeasy to the next until they found 31-year-old Joseph Patrick Murray. Joseph, poor guy. He looked a lot like Malloy to the point where later on they were laughing about like how uncanny the resemblance was. And he was also an alcoholic with no family looking for a job and he was of Irish descent. So I literally wrote perfect question mark. They offered perfect? Yes, perfect to them, which is not great. They offered him a job and he was like, oh God, yes, I absolutely need a job. So they were like, 
that's perfect. We need to hire somebody. Hey, let's have some drinks to celebrate. And then they got him drunk. And when he passed out, they put an ID card for Nicholas Mellory in his pocket, along with some change, or I don't know why, but they put some silver in there. And then all seven of them loaded into the taxi for a do-over at around 10 p.m. Even random Johnny was back. Johnny's like, I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> Apparently so. Johnny's just, I, I don't, Johnny needs new friends. Okay. Johnny's just like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm vibing right now. <laughs> Murray was said to be on the floor of the car and they apparently rested their feet on him, which add insult to injury here. Is, is it so wrong that I do that to my dogs when they lay under my desk? Well, no, because you don't plan on killing your dogs. I just make them smell my feet. <laughs> Arguably worse. Exactly. So, okay, they go out. It's about 10 p.m. And they set up in the street, and they're literally green is driving down the street. Murray is being held up. And all of a sudden, Maglione, or I think, I'm sorry, it was Marino this time. Marino was like, Stop. And they're like, What? And they said, It's too early. So they all load up into the taxi. They go back to the speakeasy, dump Murray on the floor. I guess drink for about an hour and a half. And then they go out and try again. And this is a lot of work. Is they're not planning this out (laughs) for this to be as premeditated as it is. They are really sucking at it. They're not good at premeditation. They're the worst. I don't even know if this can be counted as premeditated. I don't know if a jury would look at this and go, yeah, this is totally premeditation or go, yeah, they're just totally (laughs) idiots and they suck with freaking planning things. Just both. (laughs) Just send them to jail for being stupid. Listen, this is way too much work that they're causing themselves. I'll keep my desk job. Okay. Uh, yeah, agreed. I will keep my unjob. Okay. <laughs> so they go back out and this time Green hit Murray at about 25 miles per hour. And then he ran him over again at 30 miles an hour for good measure. But this time there was a witness. Shocking? No, not to me. Valen Jenkins, he saw the whole thing from a window and he got the license plate of the taxi (laughs) and he also called an ambulance. Joseph Murray, he survived, um, but he suffered internal damage, broken ribs and a major concussion. He had to stay in the hospital for 55 days. That is one big bill. Oh, yeah. For those of you in America, that's... You're you're not getting out of that debt anytime soon. You will literally have to die to get out of it. Well, unless you have really good insurance. Oh, well, that doesn't exist. Not that I know of. Depends on the insurance company. Point is, well, no, because as long as you meet your out-of-pocket max, you're totally good. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Loopholes. Loopholes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Be in the hospital. They might fight it a little bit and not want to pay. But as long as you can prove that it was medically necessary for you to be in the hospital for that 55 days, it's fine. And I mean, this is the 30s, so probably needed to be in the hospital. Either that or they're just going to throw some cocaine at it. Or throw some ice water on him and be done. Just throw him under an open window. (laughs) Uh, So they did not know 
that he was in the hospital. They assumed that he died. But these morons still don't have a body to collect the insurance policy. So they're just looking for another body. Uh, Pasqua comes up with a plan. Oh, he needs to stop. <laughs> he is the worst event planner I have ever. He is fired. He is not allowed to plan any of my events. I do not even want him involved in any of this process. He is terrible. He needs to stay at undertaking and just just deal with them after they die because Listen, the dying parts you suck at. This, it, was this his way of trying to get into like party planning? He was like, maybe if I can plan like the perfect murder, I could be like a great event planner or like a party planner. And he's just failing epically. I really have no <laughs> idea what the point of this was. Well, I mean, I know what the point was, but I don't I know. I <laughs> feel like they're, they've spent more money on this conspiracy to kill someone <laughs> than they will be getting back. Right? Especially when you have to split it between, what, eight people? <laughs> God, you're going to get like $2 back at this rate. <laughs> Holy crap. So, Pasqua, he <laughs> formulates a new plan. He meets with a doctor named Frank Manzella. And he knew this doctor because they worked together a lot when Pasqua needed a death certificate signed before he buried somebody. So Pasqua tells Manzella that he'll give him $150 to identify a body as Nicholas Mellory, confirm the death, lie about what caused the death, and sign the certificate. Okay. Isn't this easier than all of what they've already done? Well, Manzella was like, sure. So yes, this is much easier. Okay. This would have been easier to like, yeah. Like, have Michael Malloy pose as whatever the guy's... They already invented an identity for him. It's not even the same, like, identity. Like, there's a shit that you need on him. Like, you could have done this from the beginning. Like, waited yeah. a few months. I'm not... Okay, for people listening, I am not encouraging you to do this. I'm just saying they could have saved themselves a shit ton of hassle by just doing this as plan A, not plan fucking Q. We're not telling you to murder somebody. We're just promoting efficiency. Yes. <laughs> Do the smartest and most efficient plan first. Yeah. People. So. He agrees to this. Manzel is like, sure. 150 bucks is 150 bucks, apparently. I mean, so, but back then, that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. So the. New, 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 I think, plan is they're going to find a furnished room with a gas line, and then they'll just kill the guy with carbon monoxide poison. Again, not a bad idea. Then they'll call Mallory. He'll lie about it all. They get their insurance. Okay, instead of killing someone, couldn't they convince Mallory to, like, give, like, find an unidentified body and then identify that as someone instead of ha- like finding an already dead person instead of having to kill someone like grave robbing. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I don't know not in the grave yet. Them. Like they're not in the grave yet. Maybe it was just an unidentified persons. Well, the problem I think with that is it has to be with the problem they were running into back when they went and got Murray is it had to be somebody that matched Malloy's description. So they had to be like right. five foot, whatever, uh, weigh like a hundred, I think it was like 180, 170 pounds, something like that. Okay, weight goes up and down. The height I can get might be a little tricky, Yeah. but I don't 
feel like it would be impossible that at that point you just you know wait you just patiently yeah. wait i feel like there was a million better ways they could have done this like yes. let's be honest but there are bad ways to murder people <laughs> yeah no don't do it don't do it anyway but don't do it this way especially you know what if you're gonna do it do it this way do it the stupid way <laughs> so they've got their plan the only problem is they need a victim because they bumbled the last two so five days after they hit murray michael freaking malloy limps his way into the speakeasy and says i did I sure am dying for a drink. Damn it, Michael. Where the hell have you been? <laughs> the gang, they kind of just looked at each other and then Murphy poured him up some wood alcohol because apparently he doesn't deserve a damn shot of real whiskey oh, at this point. Him some freaking whiskey. <laughs> Dude, and- been through enough. <laughs> Malloy tells his friends, heavy air quote, what happened to him. He said that he remembered drinking whiskey like... My dude, that wasn't whiskey, but okay. He remembers drinking whiskey, some bright lights, and then he woke up in a warm bed in Fordham Hospital. So apparently a police officer found him on the side of the road, and Malloy suffered, this is all a quote, a fractured skull, a fractured shoulder, concussion of the brain, and alcoholism. I mean, did we need a doctor to tell us there was alcoholism in there? I mean, the man's insides probably smelt like wood alcohol. Like, I I think we got that part, y'all. Yeah. um, I mean, that's not bad for what he's been through. Yeah, honestly. And only five days in the hospital and he's just limping his way into this. And he said he said that he just wanted to go back and drink with his friends. Oh, buddy my heart oh michael he also suffered numerous scrapes cuts and bruises but he identified himself as michael malloy even though they found that id card for nicholas mellory in his pocket he told the nurses i don't know why that's there so since he identified himself when they called looking for nicholas mellory that's why they didn't find him Now, um, I was drunk. I have no idea why that's in my pocket. That's probably exactly what he said. Also, (laughs) can I please, do you have any rubbing alcohol I could sip on? Do you have some rum whiskey? Anything. I'll take some wood lacquer, whatever the hell it is. Please, sir. I would like to stain my insides a nice mahogany. (laughs) I don't care what it is. Just. As long as it's got alcohol, I'm good. I'll even take a vibrant chestnut at this point. (laughs) So, on February 21st, they rented a room from Delia Murphy, less than a mile from the speakeasy. And the next day, Malloy was drinking whiskey when they challenged him to a drink-off. And he was actually drinking whiskey, apparently. So, I guess they did feel for him a little bit. But At then, this point, they're like, maybe the whiskey will kill him. Maybe that's where we're going wrong. Well, when uh, when Tough Tony challenged him to a drink-off, they moved him to wood alcohol. And Tough Tony got whiskey. But they moved him to wood alcohol. And Malloy oh, taking... Tough Tony can't handle the wood alcohol. Apparently, he's not. No. He's not the magical Mike. No. So Tiny Tony drinks whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> he 
not Mighty Mike, okay? No. Malloy drank an estimated two quarts of wood alcohol in 15 to 20 minutes before passing out on the floor. So he lost. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> they dragged him to this rented room and apparently nobody stopped him on the street. And it was just, uh, they made Murphy drag him down the street to the room. And Miss Miss Murphy, Delia Murphy, the landlord, that threw me off when I was like, Miss, why was his wife there? No, <laughs> he wasn't married. Sorry. The landlady, when she opened the door, she was, she said that she was like, uh, is he okay? Because he was literally foaming at the mouth. And Murphy was like, this is my brother. He's drunk. We j- I just got to put him to bed. So she's like, okay. He takes him up, puts him in bed. And roughly seven months after they first agreed to this whole big plan, Michael Malloy died after they ran a rubber hose from the gas outlet directly to his mouth and kind of wrapped it with a towel. He was dead within an hour, which is when Pascal call, or Pasqua, excuse me, called Dr. Manzella to the scene. And he ruled the death due to low bar pneumonia. They got $800 from the Metropolitan Policy. Tough Tony was mysteriously killed outside a bar after he was unhappy with his cut of the money. And when Pascal went to collect for, from Prudential, they wanted to see the body before cashing out the policy. And Pasqua told them it's already been buried. And Prudential was like, whoop, whoop. That's an alarm. That's what that was supposed to be. They were like, this is, this is sketchy. They weren't cheering. They weren't like, no. I wanted to see it. They were like, uh-oh. <laughs> no, that was supposed to sound like the whoop whoop of a car, not like of, a cheer. My of bad. Like a siren is what you're yes. looking for. Okay. Like the, like the quick cough whoop whoops. Whoop 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 whoop. I don't know yes. how to do it. <laughs> I don't, that sounds wee, better than wee, what I did. <laughs> there it is. Yes. I got you. They sounded the alarms because... Pascal, Pas- I don't know why I kept typing Pascal towards the end. Pasqua, he's an undertaker. He knows the rules. So they were like, why did you bury the body? And they immediately launched an investigation. They exhumed the body and found that Malloy died from gas and not pneumonia because Pasqua didn't even spare the $5 to embalm him. They just threw him in a $10 casket in the ground. So when they dug him up, they could see the pinkness to his skin, which is apparently what happens if you die from carbon monoxide. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it unraveled really quickly because they're sloppy, they're stupid, and they start turning on one another. It also, this, all this also led to the real reason Maybell died. So she got justice because Marino did, I guess, confess to what he did to her. Their trial began in October, and Green turned on all of them as a witness for a lesser charge. Oh, Harry Green, he was sentenced. Harry, Harry Hershey Green, he's got yes. the right idea. He's like, F this. <laughs> Harry Hershey Green was like, y'all are on your own. And <laughs> he was sentenced to five to ten years in prison, which seems like, even though you got a deal, that seems really short for running somebody over. Running... Two, Two people, people over, over, one of them twice with your car. Jesus. And Dr. Frank Menzella, he was also sentenced to three months for 
failing to report a suspicious death. Tony Marino, Daniel Kreisberg, Joe Murphy, and Frank Pasqua all turned on each other in court. And Marino even pled insanity. And all this failed miserably. They were tried and convicted of first-degree murder. Marino, Pasqua, and Kreisberg were sentenced to death by electric chair, and they died June 7th of 1934. Murphy, however, was granted you make a over- plan. That is how you make a plan. You set a date, yes. you choose the position. That is how you follow make through and execute a plan. <laughs> see what I did there? I see what you did. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Murphy was granted a reprieve when he was determined to be mentally unbalanced, but then they just executed him a month later. Michael Malloy was finally laid to rest at Ferncliff Cemetery in Westchester County, New York, where visitors still lay flowers for him to this day. Oh, is it because he's like basically a real life hero for surviving all of that? Yes. Okay. And that is the story, the incredible story oh of my gosh. Iron Mike. Michael Malloy. Oh my gosh. I, it's sad. I forgot that he does actually die because. It's been it's been a while, but all the shit he went through, he had better be living it up in heaven. I swear to God, he better have just an endless bottle of all of the drinks, just Whiskey, whatever drink he wants, vodka. He better have an endless bottle of all of them mixed together and never have a hangover. Even better, he has a personal bartender. Yes, can make the mixed drinks. He can experiment. Because, you know, like, up there, he can do whatever the hell he wants, right? He, like, he's, like, yeah. looking down on us going, oh, that swig looks real good. Make me one of those, but put some tequila in it. <laughs> okay, well, I've got a story for you. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay, well, I told you, I gave you homework before we started, right? So I need you to get that paper torn up into four pieces. Wait, one paper, four pieces? I just, you need four pieces to put in the cup because you're going to draw. Okay. Ooh, okay. Um, just put numbers one through four. I should have had you do this before, but I, I, I did not. It all makes sense in a minute. What? Why? Halfway done. I've got my cup. Okay. Well, she's since she's awake. Do you want to let Annie pick? Yeah, we'll let Annie pick them. Okay. So before you have anyone pick, so um, you remember that you did way early on the uh, lumberjack cryptids. Okay. Yes. Well, my darling husband, who had a great idea, he's like, well, why don't you do, like, camping cryptids or something? Ooh. And I was like, yes, let's do it. And Google failed me. (laughs) So they didn't give me a lot of camping cryptids or anything specific to camping. Um, A lot of them were, like, lumberjack ones that you had already covered. Um, So what I ended up doing was just finding some of my favorites. And we're doing just some of my favorites today. <laughs> okay. But they're all shorter ones, nothing too terribly long. So I've got four of them. And I have them numbered on my side. Um, Annie is going to draw a number, and that's the one we're going to do. Uh, and that's the order we'll do. So she can draw one at a time. See the ocean. So we have number number one. Okay. So the first one is the Woods Devil which there is a depiction of it in there. Love it already. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is the Woods Devil. They're found mostly in New Hampshire uh, in the county area. And they do prefer like a remote area. Um, 
They really have not been seen a lot outside of New Hampshire, but um, there are very few and minimal sightings. And the sightings of them began in the 1930s. The Woods Devil are described as standing at seven feet tall. They walk on two feet. They're very thin, have long, shaggy, tan or gray fur, long, pointy faces, and they are described as Bigfoot. Now, a lot of people look at them and go, uh, this isn't, like, it looks like it could be a Bigfoot, but it also looks like it might not be because they're so slim comparatively. So the Woods Devil, they're, the Wood Devils, they're shy creatures, and they're very wary of humans. Can't blame them at all. So they're set to hide by behind trees at the approach of humans. And that's why they have such slender forms, is because that enables them to hide so easily behind the trees. And they're supposed to be really fast, so they can dart between the trees if they need to move, whatever it is. And... According to Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or BFRO, if the wood devil is not able to hide behind a tree, but a human or a person is coming up, they will just stand completely still. I don't like anything about this. Like, even the picture is so uncomfortable. Gosh. They just, if, they, if you're coming up on them and they don't have anywhere to hide, they're just going to freeze. Uh-uh. Just stop moving. No, I'm going to think it's like a, a, a bald tweaker. Like, but they're not like bald. It. They're furry head to toe. Oh, and the thing, he looks bald, but I'm a, I guess he's covered I, I with think, fur. Yeah, I think that's just, the idea. He looks like a large, like a, a tall, bald man with a large <laughs> nose and an, an inhuman smile. Yeah, the smile gets me on that picture. Mm-hmm. It's the definition of ear to ear. Yeah. So basically, they say that they'll stand like that until they believe it's either safe to move or until they know they've been spotted by or like someone's bumped into them and then they'll just dart the fuck off. They're out of there. They were seen at an increasing rate between the 1930s and the 1970s. After the 1970s, the sightings of them seem to really slow down. And a lot of people think this is simply because the wood devils learned to hide better. I mean, I would hope. <laughs> I would hope so, too. Now, the the reason this is significant is also because that shows intelligence in the creature. People that have seen the wood devil state that they are typically, they see it against a tree, so it's hiding, or they only happen to see it when they just get too close and it starts sprinting away from them. So basically, people are just like, we walk into them, and that's all that the, like, the reports are. Now, a lot of people often hear screaming or screeching in the woods of the area, and they do believe that is the wood devils. Some possible explanations is that it's just simply an undiscovered species. Some people believe it is a hide behind, which we covered in your story. Ah, yeah. Uh, A little bit different, though. Yeah, he has Um, a face. Yeah. Maybe they just cut their hair. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But this one doesn't hide behind you. It hides behind trees. Because the hide behind is behind you, isn't it? If it has to be, but yeah, yeah, the high behind it hides behind trees. But if you try to look behind you, it can move from behind you before you yeah. can ever see it. Whereas this one stands perfectly still in. It's almost like it's a fear reaction where it just freezes, you know. Okay. Um, other people think it's a demonic creature from different Native American folklore. I could not find the name of the creature that they think it could be, but that's all of them said. Just a demonic creature, or 
it's a skinny Bigfoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> skinny Bigfoot. Wow. There are a lot of differences. So they believe that they are maybe related, but still distinctly separate from Bigfoot. Basically, the biggest commonality they have is that they're hairy all over. And then after that, they're just kind of done. So, but that is the Wood Devils. I like him. <laughs> I mean, I don't like him at <laughs> all, but. Okay, well, are you ready to draw the next one? Okay. You ready? It is, it's four. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I start laughing at this one. This, okay, so this is the longest one. Okay. okay. Um, I've got like a longer one and then I've got one that's like literally four. <laughs> it's so short, but okay. So the longest one. Have you ever heard of Jeff? Okay. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> I can't say that I have. I, I don't think I know any. I know one Jeff, and I used to work with him, and I don't know where he's at now. Okay, it's not that Jeff. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of the Dolby Spook? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, have you ever heard of Jeff the Talking Mongoose? Yes, but I don't know why. <laughs> well, that's who we're talking about is Jeff. Wonderful. <laughs> so. Jeff, the talking mongoose, is also known as the Dolby Spook. Um, in 1930, Dolby on the island of Man. Um, on In Dolby, wow, Jesus, okay. In 1930, in Dolby on the Isle of Man, lived the Irving family. And the Isle of Man is in the Irish Sea, Irish sea between Great Britain and Ireland. Just so you know where we're at. So, um, the Irving family lived there on their farmstead. And... The Irving family consisted of James Irving, Margaret Irving, and their 13-year-old daughter, Vori. I think that's how you say it. But the family was considered to be very honest. They were decent people. No one really had any issues with them. In September 1931, the Irving family claimed to start hearing things. And they heard persistent scratching, rustling, and vocal noises. And they said that the sounds were coming from behind the farmhouse wall panels. So, like, between the walls, basically. Terrifying. <laughs> no, Jeff's not. Don't worry about that. Um, but random course, sounds in your walls? No. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I can get on board. Well, according to the family, a creature comes out to introduce himself as Jeff. And he goes on to state that he identifies as a mongoose that was born in New Delhi, India in the year 1852. Huh? How are you here? <laughs> how are you? How old are you, sir? And okay. He identifies <clears throat> as a mongoose. That's the key point here. Okay. But what are you? So. Just want to know what's in my wall, man. Jeff introduces himself, uh, and Vori, the daughter, describes Jeff as, she says she's small, like the size of a small rat. He's got yellowish fur and a large, bushy tail. Now, one thing to know is these are just the quick sightings of Jeff that she's seen. Jeff typically does not allow people to see him. Okay. And Jeff actually, as he gets more talkative and more comfortable with the family, he starts telling them things, and he tells them he is an extra, extra clever mongoose. He also tells them he's an earthbound spirit. He tells them he is a ghost in the form of a mongoose. And he also says, and this one's a quote, 
I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into stone or pillar of salt. Okay. He also goes on to sing songs. One of his favorite songs was Carolina Moon. He would recite text. He mimicked other animal sounds. He also would often boast or brag that he was the eighth wonder of the world. Well, I mean, we all need some confidence like that. <laughs> Jeff has got all the confidence, okay? Now, Jeff and the Irvings, they come on. Jeff's not harmful. He's just kind of hanging out. And the Irvings basically go on to say that Jeff would guard their home. He was kind of like a guard dog for them. He would alert them to the approach of guests or unfamiliar dogs. He would actually turn off or stop the stove if someone forgot to put the fire out of it at night or at any time. He would wake the family up if they overslept. Where can I get a Jeff? <laughs> Hold up. He also, if mice got into the house, he would also get rid of them. He took the role of the family cat there, too. He wouldn't eat the mice. He did prefer to scare them away instead of killing them. So, like, Jeff, right? Yeah, like, I don't care what you identify as. I'm just <laughs> curious. Why a mongoose? I don't know. So, he's He's just doing his thing. He's like, listen, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be helpful. Now, because of all the things that Jeff did for the family, they they would leave food for him in a saucer that they had suspended from the ceiling. And Jeff would often get biscuits, chocolates, bananas, and just whatever. Hold on, though. He gets biscuits and chocolate? And bananas. Uh, I, I want to be Jeff? You want to wake people up when they <laughs> oversleep? I mean, it's a living. <laughs> if I get paid in chocolate, I mean, <laughs> I get to chase rats and. Yeah. This is. Well, he's got like the dream job, right? It well, sounds like it. Like I said earlier, Jeff did avoid being seen. And so when they put the food on the saucer that's suspended from the ceiling, um, he would just wait until he thought the coast was clear and then jump up to the saucer to get his food. He just didn't want to be seen. He would also frequently go on trips to the market with the family. Pardon? <laughs> I would just go to the market with them. No biggie. What, did he steal away in a bag? I'm not quite sure. I think they walked over to the market for the ah. most part, um, from what I could tell. And so he would follow them over to the market and then hide, oh. hide in the bushes or in the hedges or on the other side. Just chat with them while they're going around the market. Be like, hey, I'm out of bananas. Yeah, uh, could you get no, get the good chocolate this time? Yeah. The if hell you with want, that last stuff. <laughs> if you want those rats gone, you better not bring any more damn cacao in this house. <laughs> I want real deal. I want the real stuff. Get some peanut butter with it, too, this time. Yeah. You know what? Just get a Reese's. <laughs> I don't know if Reese's were around. They will make them. Invent make them. Reese's and then put them <laughs> in my plate. Deal. Um, now, when the press caught wind of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, they got a lot of coverage on Jeff. Uh, there were stories and articles, everything. Now, with the press coverage, this brought a lot of different locals as well as investigators just to the home because they're like, well, I want to see this talking mongoose. And a lot of these visitors claim to have heard Jeff at some point during their visit. Of these visitors, at least two of them claim to have actually seen Jeff. Just a quick little glance. They saw him. So for the most part, people hear him but don't see him. 
Okay, so there are some psychic investigators that thought that Jeff was a poltergeist or a ghost. They really narrowed it down for us there. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> now, others state that when they visited, they didn't see anything or hear anything that would suggest that Jeff existed. Now, the Irvings claimed that they had physical evidence, which included footprints, stains on the walls from when he would jump up to his, you know, his bowl, uh, hair samples, as well as they did present a couple photos that they claimed to be Jeff. I'm going to be honest, I looked for the photos, but not hard. So I looked at a couple and went, I don't see anything and moved on. So now the skeptics of uh, Jeff, you know, they, I shouldn't say the skeptics. Now some more of the paranormal investigators that come out. So you have Richard Lambert and Harry Price who come out. And Richard Lambert is an editor and Harry Price is a paranormal investigator. And they come to stay in 1935. During their visit, they saw and heard nothing. Not a wink, not an ounce, nothing. And the physical evidence that they're presented with, they send off and they get some, you know, expert opinions. And it doesn't really come back it's basically it was less than compelling so the hair sample was just fur from the family dog um the stains on the walls were believed to be made by the family dog the footprints that they claimed were jeff's they could not identify them or match them to a mongoose so they're like "Mm." he said he had hands and feet though yeah he did but wouldn't you think you'd be little handprints in the stuff they're seeing like paw prints and stuff Uh so that's what was presented um what they also found while they were there was that voices carried in the house really well because of how the walls were made the voices carried through so one person could be like in the kitchen talking and another person could hear them saying whatever they were saying clear as day so they're like well you could just be hearing like a I don't know, a TV or someone talking in the other room or just something. See, and the okay. family's like, no, no, no. It's Jeff. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's Jeff. Like, literally, how dare you get out of my house and stop disrespecting our family? Right. Um, now, these two actually go on to write a book called The Haunting of Cashin's Gap. And it's about their investigation. They did try to be very objective in the book. But it, overall, it came out with them being very skeptical of this being the truth. The Irvings basically go on to state after their investigation, Jeff returns and he's like, oh, yeah, I just went on vacation. I'm back now. Where did he go? I don't know. He Bali? just told them. He took off, went on a little vacation while the investigators were there, and he was back after they left. So real convenient, right? Well, I mean, honestly, they should have planned with him ahead of time. And they, maybe yes. he would have fit them in. Probably, but they didn't do a good enough job. So Jeff is busy. He's a busy goose. (laughs) Busy mongoose, okay? (laughs) Ooh, do mongoose work for scaring away skinwalkers the same that geese do? It has the word goose in it. I don't that's a good question, I think. Mongeese are (laughs) mongeese, right? I don't know. Mongeeses? I don't know. Mongai. Mongai. (laughs) (laughs) Either with the mongoose? My, a mongoose is mean. I'm going to say it might be an acceptable replacement if you cannot get a um, geese river, a lazy river of geese, you know? Yeah. Anyways, so a lot of the different skeptics believe that 
Vori, their daughter, created Jeff by use of ventriloquism. So ah. she was able to project her voice in different ways. And a lot of people believe that the whole family was in on it. They were like, oh, hell yeah, you can do that. That's awesome. Let's just convince people it's a mongoose. Why? I don't know, but a mongoose sounded like fun. Um, some claim to have actually caught Vori wow. making noises. So they're like, uh, that's you, child. And her father, James, would be like, oh, no, 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 no. That was actually Jeff. That No, no, no. You might have, no, that was Jeff. So real supportive father there. Glad that's how it. mad James is. Yeah, so wow. you, it's great. Yeah, you shut your dirty mouth. How dare you accuse my child of lying? Exactly. Get so, out of my house. Don't even put your shoes on. Just leave. Just grab them and go, okay? Yeah. Now, other theories claim that Jeff was an imaginary friend of Vori's. Speaking of imaginary, did you ever have an imaginary friend growing up? No, not that I remember. Oh, I did. Oh, you tell. <laughs> I had Sandy and Annie. I also, apparently, I don't remember this, but my mother has told me about this. I apparently had an imaginary boyfriend, too. And I guess one day I just stopped talking about him. And when my mom asked me about him. <laughs> yeah. When my parents asked me about him, I guess he was hit by a train and he was dead. Oh. <laughs> I killed off my imaginary boyfriend. So here we are. Hey. Any other imaginary boyfriends out there better beware. Yeah. You better get a good insurance policy on them, I'll tell you that. And also remember, they got to see the body. The imaginary body, for sure. <laughs> Anyways, so other skeptics of this believe that Jeff actually may have been a personality of James, Ir James Irby. They believe that he had multiple personality disorder. And so the family was like, yeah, Jeff, you know. Um, Margaret and Vori end up selling the home in 1945 after the death of James Irving. And they said that they had to sell the home at a loss due to the alleged haunting. And in 1946, the new owner, Leslie Graham, claimed to have shot and killed Jeff. What the hell did Jeff <laughs> ever do to you? What the? You savage. Oh my God. Now, in the picture that she took of the now late Jeff, as far as she's concerned, she showed a uh, a creature that was black and white, and it was larger than what Jeff was described as. And the daughter of Vori, she was adamant. She's like, that is not Jeff. I don't know who you shot, maybe George, but that's not Jeff, okay? Like, that's not our guy. Um, and then Jeff was just never heard from after the family moved out. Vori died in 2005, and she went to the grave claiming or believing that Jeff was real and that she had not concocted and her family had not concocted it. And that is Jeff the Talking Mongoose. That was tragic. Oh, my God. I don't think Jeff is dead, though. I don't I think, think so, either. I think he faked his death, and he's, in, he's back in Bali living his best life. Bali? Yeah, on vacation. Well, he's from New Delhi. Maybe he went back to her family. Also, possibility. Well, maybe all of his family has a curse and they all get reincarnated as mongoose. Mongi? Mongai. Mongoose. Like uh, Red? I haven't seen that yet. Oh. But sure. But anyways, he's out living his best life. His best talking mongoose life. I like and that one. That is the story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. 
So okay. one more. Draw one more. Well, there's two more stories, but draw one more. Number three. Oh, perfect. Oh. Okay. This one might be my, okay, this is the shortest one. It's like 10 bullets. It's super, super short. Um, has, okay. I grew up with my mom using the terminology dingbat. Yeah. Okay. We used it in like middle school, like you dingbat. Exactly. That's a thing. So we're going to talk about the dingbat. Oh, okay. I, I really think it's my favorite. So it's super, super short. They're found in the Great Lakes region. And the dingbat is a bat or bird-like creature. Shocker. Um, it is described as having a short feathered body. It has large wings. It also has small, short, deer-like antlers. And many people that claim to have seen it say it resembles a fat owl. Just like It really just looks like an owl for most people. They also say it whinnies like a horse. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was I was with you and I'm <laughs> I lost you real quick, right? Okay. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still Are listening. You... Are you ready to hear what their diet consists of? Nay. <laughs> okay, well that's too bad. <laughs> uh their diet consists of gasoline and bullets. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, okay. So these things just fly through the air with their large wings and small bodies. And if they crash, it's like a Molotov cocktail with explosive shrapnel. Oh my God. Um, They have the ability to eat a bullet midair. Where do you get the bullets? I'm sorry. They they are known to prank hunters. Oh, that's where they get the bullet. They are known to prank hunters by eating their bullets midair, as well as they will go and find the hunter's car and drink the gas out of their vehicle and then eat any leftover ammunition. This sounds <laughs> like something a new hunter made up to be like, no, I didn't get stuck in the woods because I ran out of gas and ammunition. I was, I didn't miss that deer. It was the dingbat. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, you're a dingbat. Yeah. <laughs> No, Frank, you are a dingbat. I almost said no, Jeff. <laughs> no, Jeff is a mongoose, okay? Yeah, not a dingbat. <laughs> That's the dingbat. That's all I could find on it. Super <laughs> sure. I think I love him. I know I said I think he's my favorite, but I actually think all of these are my favorite because the last one we have. Are you ready? Yes. I'm letting this her is... draw just because she's enjoying it. Okay, go ahead and draw. She's okay. looking at it too, like, what number? <laughs> She's investigating it so she can put it in her mouth. Oh, okay. So the last one, I think you're going to love the name, too. It's called the Whirling Wimpus. (laughs) Wimpus? I don't know. Oh, my God. Okay. Absolutely. (gasps) What? She just saw the picture. Yes. He's also one of my favorites, okay? And when you hear more about him, you're not going to love him, but you're still going to love him, okay? Okay. So, these creatures are found in the Cumberland Mountains of Tennessee, in that area. They are also a Bigfoot-esque creature, but they got a little twist to them. Um, They're said to be responsible for the disappearance of hikers, hunters, and lumberjacks. They stand seven feet tall. They look like a gorilla on the top, and they've got fat black bodies. They're covered in fur. They have oversized hands, 
my god, their hands are oversized. But their legs are like that of a horse, and they're hooved. <laughs> That's something. Well, there's a reason. Like- I already was kind of uncomfortable because he's very obviously skipped leg day. <laughs> he has skipped leg day. Yeah. Like, don't do not do what the whirling wumpus does. No. Um, to the point where it's unhealthy. I don't know how yeah. he is standing on his own. Right, 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 right. It literally looks like you've got the whole upper half of a gorilla. And then all of a sudden you've just got these teeny tiny legs. Anyways, so they are considered to be bloodthirsty creatures. Their, yeah, their favorite meals are turkey, deer, cows, bears, and people. Okay, glad we're last on that list. Oh, no, we're actually first. Some of them. Okay. (laughs) Um, Would you like to know how they hunt? Yes. Okay. So at about sundown, they will stand in the middle of a trail, but it's on the bend of a trail. They're, and they're waiting for their prey. Just out in the open, no biggie, right? <laughs> when their prey gets close enough, they will raise their arms out into like a T. And they will begin spinning on one leg. <laughs> like a top. Like a ballerina. Uh. <laughs> okay. Now, the closer their prey gets, they, the faster they will spin. So they just keep going and going and going. And they're able to spin so quickly that they become practically invisible. Reportedly, they reach up to, up to 2,150 RPMs. How did you get that oh, number? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody provided me that number. Uh-huh. And so they, they can go pretty damn fast, right? Okay, yeah. So <laughs> the rate at which they spin is so fast that it's said that they produce a buzzing noise. And the noise is reminiscent of like a swarm of bugs. So oh. like as you're hiking on the trail, you hear a swarm of bugs and you as the victim, you start to look around to be like, where the hell is the swarm? <laughs> and, you, you know, when you're looking around, most of the time you keep walking, you'll walk right into the hand of the whirling wumpus. I mean, when I hear buzzing like an insect, I'm running. It might not be the right direction, but uh, no, I I don't like that at all. I grew up with, I know you've heard of the flying cockroaches. Everybody's seen one. Everybody has a story. Absolutely freaking not. (laughs) Well, let's just say you hear it and you're going to be looking around or running and the world, I think I called it a wumpus, but it's a wimpus. Wimpus. Um, nothing wimpy about it no it's just spinning in the middle of this fucking trail (laughs) like it's you can't even see it but you can hear it and you just don't realize that's what it is you just freaking back into its giant oversized hand and it's spinning so fast that reportedly its victim just turns into a sap or molasses like substance because it's hit you so hard and you're just obliterated at that point god right (laughs) How does it even, what's the point? Does it eat me afterwards? Yes. Um, once they have you and they felt you hit their hand, they stop spinning. And they merely walk back into the woods while licking the meal off of their hands. You could at least get a cup or a bowl. You're <laughs> just, lick you just their being hands. wasteful now. Well, it says that they eat anything that was there. So clothes, <laughs> weapons, anything that hit their hand, they just... 
right up. Just well, at least at least they're not wasting. Yeah, I bet they have a their carbon footprint is like minuscule. Right now, when someone does go missing in this area, supposedly the uh, search party will go out to look for them, and on occasion they claim to come across a footprint filled with what they call sap. But when they see these, they know what's happened and they know the whirling uh, wimpus has gotten their, whoever they're looking for. And when a party like this sees this, they huddle huddle together and they're very vigilant because they're like, now we know. Now we know. And we're not also going to be a meal. So they'll stay really close and they'll start going back down. And if they hear a buzzing sound, the armed members of the group will just fire towards the middle of the trail, hoping to hit or scare the whirling wimpus. Wimpus. The does whirling wimpus. Does it kill them? Well, no one has claimed to have killed one yet. Oh, no. And that is the whirling wimpus. That was... Dang. I don't even... I think the dingbat is still my favorite. I think it's my favorite, too. I just love how the Whirling Wimpus hunts. Uh, yeah. I kind of... He's, just, he's very like, original. Like, he's unique in how he hunts. Like, nobody can say that he's copying them. I feel like um, huddling together in a group wouldn't necessarily help you. I think the thought is more like, okay, we know what it is now. So now we all need to make sure that if I hear the buzzing sound... You know there's a buzzing sound, and we stop and start shooting in the middle of the trail. Ah, got you. Okay. Yeah. So, teamwork makes the dream. So, there you have it. Those are just some of my favorite little cryptids I found. Short cryptids. I like those little cryptids. This is your, what, second installment? installment? Yeah, because we did your little cryptids, now my little cryptids. I think that's that's what we should call these installments are My Little Cryptids. My Little Cryptids, I love it. <laughs> so I think that's what we're going to do from now on. These are My Little Cryptids. Uh, <laughs> oh, I had fun researching them. I will give Cody credit for giving me the idea for the camping ones, but Google failed me. Then so. Cody failed you by prop. I will say that Google gave me the Woods Devils and the whirling wimpus. So, ah, well, the, the, the whirling wimpus, I think, was my oh, second favorite. Second, uh, the dingbat. Mm-hmm. I just they take it home. It's yeah. the the fact that they're messing with the hunters. Ooh, maybe that's why my dad never gets anything. <laughs> you gotta watch out for those dingbats, Dad. I'll I'll ask him about it next time. I next time he's uh, answers his phone. I would ask my dad, but then he'll stop giving me <laughs> deer meat. So. I'll listen. My dad doesn't bring anything back, so we're fine. Okay. At least nothing that I've ever heard of, so. He just needs to go hunting in some different woods away from the dingbats and the whirling wimpies. <laughs> Wimpy? Wimpy. Yes. Wimpies. I don't know. Wimpies. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe I'll text him and ask if he ran into any Dean Bats on his hunting trip. <laughs> I'll do it and I'll text you what his response is. I'm looking forward to it. He's probably going to be like, what the hell? The hell I imagine he would about? be like, I'm talking to one now. <laughs> probably. He's like, <laughs> he'll probably be like, well, I hunted with your brother. Does that count? 
he's probably drinking your gasoline and eating you, your ammunition, Dad. Like, tell him to stop. If you want to get home, you might want to go check on him. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels podcast, Twitter at Hell on Heels pod, or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast if you want to support or uh, to if you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further we, so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon, where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much, so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. And this has been Hell on Heels Podcast. Bye! Bye!